Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. Hello, good evening and welcome to this Women's Football Weekly Pioneers special. I'm sorry it's taken us so long to get with you. A few technical issues here, but... We have a cracking show in store for you with the outcome of the 2019-20 season finally decided we have time and space to dedicate an entire show to the female trailblazers and pioneers who've helped shape the history of football in the UK. You're going to hear from England women's record goal scorer Kelly Smith on what it was like breaking down barriers growing up. Dr Eva Carnero will be telling us about being the first female doctor to work in the Premier League. Joe Tung, CEO of Tung Tide Management, will tell us about representing female footballers in the fight for diversity. Football historian Gary James will also be here giving you the lowdown on who's been banging the drum for women's football over the years. Also, tell us your female pioneer who's had the biggest impact on football for you and why. All that and more coming up over the next hour with me, Faker Others, here on TalkSport 2. So, finally, hello, Kelly Smith, um, hey, MBE, uh, former Arsenal and England striker, of course, and England's record goal scorer. How are you? Oh, I'm very well, thank you. I'm currently sitting in my parents' house, um, just visiting them because it's my son's third birthday today. So, oh, happy um, birthday to him. We're having cake after this call. So we've had a lovely day. We went to the beach, um, nice day. We was all social distance. Not too many people were there, but yeah, he's had a really, really good day. Excellent. Well, w thank you for for deciding to come come on with us <laughs> on your son's birthday. Really appreciate it. Uh, Joe no Tung, of course, CEO, Tung Tide Media, FA registered agent as well, board member of Women in Football. Too many job titles to list, Mrs. How are you? Good evening, how are you? Very well, thank you. Sorry to keep you both waiting. Um, we've also got somebody else coming on the line with us shortly, but I just wanted to ask you both, bearing in mind this is a pioneers show, you're both pioneers in your own fields, but I just want to know, first of all, Kelly, who would be a pioneer of football for you? Uh, I would have to say the one person that springs to mind is Hope Powell. Um, what she's done for the game um, is, is, is wonderful. She was a manager for, for a good amount of time for the England team. She really progressed the game. Um, it was in loads of board meetings, getting the door shut, constantly in her face, um, asking for new things, pushing boundaries, um, wanting more kit, wanting more money for us, wanting better training standards. So she's the first person that um, yeah would, would come to my mind with, with a pioneer within the game, and she's well-respected within it. Absolutely, she is. What about you, Jo? I think mine would be from kind of my side of the football industry. So Heather Abatz would definitely be one ex-Millwall exec chair, first BME director at the FA and first woman on the... Um, I think she was the only woman on the FA board, actually, first mm. and only. And then, sort of more recently, Rachel Anderson, who was the only female football agent that I ever knew. And um, she's somebody who's been very, very supportive to me and who I kind of looked up to as I was growing into the industry. And that's crucial, isn't it? Having having role models it is so important. Both of you are ro role models in your own right as well. And, and that needs to continue within the game um listen i want to bring in gary james who's a football historian and author um, we've only got gary for a short time so i want to find out more about the history of women's football in this country and basically who was pushing for more recognition back in the day because we all think we know it but actually i'm not sure whether we do um so both of you jump in if you've got any questions for gary as well gary good evening how are you 
I'm fine, yeah. Thanks, thanks for having me. Excellent. Um, right, so when we're talking like early 20th century, I know we're going back a fair while now, but women's football was actually thriving, wasn't it? And, uh, you know, around the 20s um, in particular, potentially even more popular than the men's game. Yeah, I mean, in, in some respects, definitely, yeah. Um, uh, World War One was the, the sort of period which, which increased interest in, in the women's game and meant that more teams were created because of women obviously working in factories and, and so on. And I suppose most people have heard of Dick Kerr's ladies who are the, the, the most significant sort of surviving memory, if you like, for, for many people of that era. But there were a lot an awful lot of women's teams spread around the country just playing week in week out purely for the enjoyment of it it wasn't um obviously clearly it wasn't professional it wasn't as as um a sort of charity type of uh, activity or anything it was actually women getting out there and playing football it was actually a, a women's football league in manchester in, in 1917 which applied to join uh, the the men's fa um <laughs> unfortunately the, the men's fa did what what they did for the next sort of 50 odd years really and, and sort of turned a blind eye to women's football and, and didn't want to show interest um but People often talk about a game at Goodison Park that got a crowd of 53,000, which was Dick Kerr against um, St. Helens. But it, was, it wasn't the only game to get significant crowds. You know, for example, there was 31,000 at a game at Old Trafford. Um, and at that time, Manchester United's average attendance was less than 30,000. In fact, within nine years, United's crowds were down to 11,000. Their average was down to 11. So it shows that in many ways it was on a path, the difference being that men's football had a national structure and a, a governing body that clearly wanted to support the men's game. And when it came to um, the popularity of women's football, they just wanted to, to try and kill it off. Um, two reasons were, were given initially. One of, one of the reasons is that, you know, uh, women were unable to play this physical game of football, which was absolute rubbish, of course, <laughs> um, and could e easily have been dis disproved. Um, and then another aspect was that women, uh, the, the, the men predominantly who, who organised some of the women's games that were getting the big crowds were um, quite often with question marks of where some of the money was going to. And so the FA, in its wisdom, decided, right, we're going to stop all women's football from taking place on our grounds um, and because we, we you know these two issues if you like are, are issues we, we that, that are going to kill the game the truth is that had those same sort of issues been talked about in the men's game they'd have found a way they might have punished individuals they might have punished a club they might have done you know brought in safety procedures or whatever um, but for, for the old men who, who ran the FA at the time they saw it as, a, as, as something they wanted to kill off and, and unfortunately they thought they had done mm. um, which which they didn't you know the women's sport women's football continued from 1921 when the band came in um, but what, what couldn't happen was they couldn't be played on, on football uh, FA approved grounds which meant they had to take place on park pitches on um, rugby grounds sometimes and, and other sort of um, speedway stadiums things like that mm, so, and a lot of those women not impressed by that I mean uh, certainly you, you talked about Dick Kerr ladies there um, Lily Parr one of those fantastic characters of back then who, who's now got a statue outside the National Football Museum in, in Manchester as well what made her so iconic well, I, you know, I think it's, it, it, I mean, she was a, a sort of household name. You know, she, she did appear in the newspapers. She did appear in, in various guises, if you like. Um, and I think she was the first figure that, that people could associate with. But, you know, Gail Newsham has done some fantastic research and Dick Clears will, will point out that Lily was just one of many pioneering women. And she's absolutely correct with, with that. Um, and it's great that she's got the, the, the statue at the National Football Museum. But I, I, what I wouldn't want people to think is that Dick Kerr's and Lily are the only story, if you like. There's so much more to, to women's football. And, and what what developed as, as time went on, you know, quite often you, know, you see people say, 1921, the FA banned women from playing football. Um, and then we, it, suddenly the next landmark day, people talk about it's 1970. But actually, in between there, there were some really significant um, games and events. Um, one was a team called Manchester Corinthians, it was established in January 1949, and that team 
toured the globe promoting women's football. Um, and crowds of 50 or 1,000 in Venezuela and and, they, and and same in Germany as well. They, they won a, a major European trophy that, that took place uh, in Germany in, in, in the late 50s. Um, in 1960, they won a major international tournament in Venezuela. Sometimes they would play as, as England, more often than not, you know, is Manchester Corinthians. Um, and those women, I've, I've been interested some of those women, they've got some fantastic stories of, of how they had to, you know, basically fight. Uh, and I know this didn't end five years ago, you know, it's, the fight's still continuing. Um, but they, you know, they, 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 would, they would have to, um, if you were wearing a pair of football boots, they would quite often pretend they were for their brother or they'd pretend, you know, it's for hockey simply because at that time in the 1950s and, and 60s, the sort of uh, questions that would be asked were questions that, that clearly at that age, they, they didn't really feel they, could, they, they wanted, if you like. Mm, Kelly Smith, um, former Arsenal and England striker, of course, and England's record goal scorer. You had similar kind of experiences, but then fast forward, they were in the, in the 80s, weren't they? When you were a child growing up and wanted to play football. Yeah, I mean, uh, similar to some uh, players my age too, Rachel Yankee, Rachel Brown have similar stories where we were obviously really good players at a young age and no girls teams to play on because the opportunities weren't there. Girls weren't really interested in football. Um, so the only option was to play for boys teams and we were the best players on the team and um, we got kicked off of teams for, for being too good pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's I, I was kicked off two boys teams and my dad had to find a girls team for me. Uh, which was out of town. There wasn't one in Watford where I was from. We had to travel to Pinner uh, 45 minutes away and find a, a girls team for me to play on. So I faced a lot of adversity early on um, as a young kid, wanting to play a game that I loved and was, was kind of good at and just being told by not not the boys I was playing against, it was the opposition. Um, you know, the parents had a, a problem with it. It was a boys game, it was a men's game, girls shouldn't be playing. So. Um, yeah, I faced a lot of that early on in my career. And I think that's part of why, um, you know, I had the fire in my belly so much to prove people wrong and, and achieve the, what I did with Arsenal in England. Um, and just being told that just because I'm a girl, I can't play football. I just didn't believe it. I just wanted to follow my dreams. Yeah, I mean, Joe, Joe Tung from um, Tung Tide Media, uh, who's an agent. A lot of your players that, that, that you represent have had that similar kind of thing. But for you growing up as a big football fan from a big football, well, sporting family uh, as well, um, there just weren't as many role models around now uh, then, was there, than there are now? No, exactly that. And that's why, I mean, a lot of the, the stuff I do through, through Women in Football is because I really believe that we have to be visible. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not a public speaker. I'm not a public facing person. That's what my clients do. But ultimately I feel I've got a responsibility to talk about my job, to talk about why I'm here, to talk about how I got here. Because when I was growing up, as I said to you, I didn't, I mean, it would never have occurred to me to be a football agent because I didn't, I didn't know any. Um, I certainly didn't, didn't know any female football agents and going back to sort of the playing side you know Kelly mentioned um Rachel Brown, Rachel Brown there who's, who's one of my clients and I think when I was growing up I didn't even have the role models on the playing side to know that I could be a professional footballer because we rarely saw them I mean I grew up in Charlton and my, my family are, are big Charlton fans and Charlton women at the time were an incredible side so we were occasionally we'd go down and watch them and I always remember the cup final was generally on BBC on like a I think it was a bank holiday Monday. So we'd always watch at least one game of women's football a year, but it was never a constant, you know, a, a, a constant um, visible thing in, in our house. And I've, I've got a, two young nieces and I feel a real responsibility now that they know who our female footballing icons are. And I take them to women's football and we encourage them to see it on, on the television. And it is all about visibility and just saying, look, this is what I do. You can do it too. Um, so we, we kind of have to pass it down to the next generation, don't we? Yeah, and that's why people like you, to Kelly, all the women who work within the game, within football as a whole, will be speaking to Eva Carnero, who, of course, was the first first-team doctor for a Premier League side when she worked at, at Chelsea. It's absolutely crucial that, that you are there as role models uh, for these young girls growing up and, and letting them know that they can go ahead and do this. Because, uh, Gary... 
these kind of yeah. stories, as you mentioned, the Manchester Corinthians, of course, Dick Kerr ladies as well, and the Rebel England side that you kind of touched upon from the 70s who went to Mexico uh, for like an unofficial World Cup tournament. You know, these kind of stories have to be told for people to realise, you know, what a struggle it's been. Absolutely. These, these histories is significant because, you know, as unfortunately as we've seen with, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter and, and so on at the moment, uh, the people who've written the histories in the past have tended to be those in, in, in positions of, of power, if you like. And the stories of the, of the women who played football haven't, haven't been heard. Now, I, I, um, I've, I've done a book, on, uh, an oil history book, on, on the women who played for Manchester City Ladies from its formation in, in, in 88. Um, and that question of role models is one I ask time and time again. And almost without exception, when you talk to some of the, the women who were playing at the start of the 80s, including people like my, my wife, actually, um, their, their stories were, uh, their role models were, you know, uh, Dennis Stewart, Peter Schmeichel, uh, Peter Shilton, Bobby Moore, you know, uh, they, they were male footballers. And then gradually, as you get to more recent times, then obviously it's people like Kelly, people like Kevin Bardsley, you know, Seth Alton and Jill Scott and all that. And, and that's so important. I often say to people, if, if you'd have taken men football and sort of switched it off in 1921 and didn't resurrect um, the FA support until 1971, we would never have had George Best, Bobby Moore, and all, you know, maybe you can go through many, many brilliant male footballers. But what that also meant was that the generation that followed, the Gary Linekers and onwards, if you like, would never have, any, uh, have had the people to actually watch and to learn from. So, you know, I think role models are absolutely vital. We need to see people in the public eye that, that you can relate to. And, thank, you know, thankfully, we have, we have plenty of, of great uh, role models now, such as, as Kelly and so on. Um, but that shouldn't, we shouldn't overlook the fact that there were some incredible women playing football all the way through. They've just been excluded from history, and we need to make sure they're heard we need to make sure those voices are heard and, and and tell those stories well you're telling those stories gary james football historian and author gary's actually currently writing a book on women and football in the manchester region which kind of covers the 1880s through to through to now gary it's been a pleasure talking to you thank you for all your insight we hope to get you on soon and find out a little bit more when we've got some more time um i'm with kelly smith mbe of course england's record goal scorer and joe tung agent and ceo of tongue tied management and board member at WIF, of course, as well. This is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I just want to ask you both, um, you know, have you ever had times in, in, in your careers when you found it really difficult to, to push boundaries and, and get people on your side to help promote what you were doing? Because it's all very well everybody looking at you now as pioneers, but, but back in the day before you, you'd managed to, to, to push through, um, how much of a challenge was it? Kelly, we'll start with you. Yeah, it was a challenge, but as soon as, um, I'm not blowing my own trumpet here, but as soon as... Blow uh, away, friends, seriously, that's what we're here for. <laughs> as soon as my friends or anybody saw me play, they just respected me right there and then because they could see that I was talented and that I was very good and I was probably better than, than they were. So um, when I got the ball at my feet and I, I showed what I was good at, the boundaries right there for me were broken down. But if nobody had seen me play and I said, oh, I play football, then I would kind of be like pushed away a little bit and not really believe that I should be playing football. So, yeah, I think, you know, once people saw me, they they respected me right away. But I, I don't think that's like it, probably how it was for Joe. You probably had to really earn your right within the um, industry. Yeah, I think I think for me it was sort of just knocking on doors and knocking on doors and knocking on doors because when I was sort of 17, 18, 19, and I knew I was absolutely determined that I wanted to work in sport because it was the only thing that I really was any good at or knew about. And I think because it wasn't um, the norm at that point, um, I just feel I was knocking on doors and I wouldn't be getting opportunities, whereas all I wanted to say is, just let me in for a week and I'll show you and I'll be brilliant <laughs> and I'll work really hard and I do know this stuff and I've lived and breathed it all my life, just give me a chance. Yeah. Um, but it's that, that age-old thing where I was a woman you know, I wouldn't automatically, wouldn't be automatically assumed that I knew football. And so I always felt I had to prove my knowledge. I had to go that extra, you know, 10, 20% to prove what I knew. Whereas if, if a guy said, well, I know my football and I go to football and I know my stuff, give me a job, it would just be a given. Whereas if I said, well, I know my football, I'd be tested on it. Um, 
And it always used to really worry me. And I remember talking to my dad about it and saying, oh, I don't feel I know enough. I don't know enough. And everybody knows all these stats and facts and I just don't know it. And, um, you know, because I started off as a, as a football reporter, I was a, a written journalist at the BBC and that's what I thought I wanted to do and what I was going to have my whole career in. But I didn't feel confident enough that I knew enough. And I remember him saying to me, Joe, just read one tabloid and one broadsheet every day and I guarantee everything you read you'll hear repeated by people in the office or people on the terraces. <laughs> and it was so true. And I think, it, you know, maybe now we've, we've got a more diverse media to... Uh, uh, to take in and we've got various podcasts but back in the day it, it was the tabloid and the broadsheet and as long as you read them um you know it was only just at the time when bbc sport online had started so i think i think it's just having that confidence to go look i know what i know and i'm bringing something to the table here and i'm an individual um but i think the the natural assumption was you don't know enough so i had to try and prove myself even more yeah, I think that's something that, that a lot of a lot of women, well, a lot of people actually feel they have to do to, to, to prove themselves. And there is just that additional little barrier um, when you're female that you have to, or you feel that you have to prove yourself in some way, which is really tough. But that mm. is why we need pioneers to, to show the path, light it up, if you like, in a kind of Wizard of Oz, Yellow Brick Road kind of style. <laughs> um, we've been asking all of you uh, who your female pioneers are. Uh, Rob Malarkey's been in touch he said Lily Parr from the famous Dick Kerr ladies team of the 1910s and 20s of course we touched on her story earlier on uh, all of the Doncaster Bells team who 20 years ago broke the back of institutional and sexist barriers against women and girls playing football in the UK they turned the tide with a helpful media who understood what was at stake that's from uh, Rob Roberts on Twitter as well uh, probably Megan Rapino says Nick just for some of her statements made a lot of people with no interest in women's football very aware of her this is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker Others. You're listening to the thoughts of Kelly Smith and Joe Tung as well. Uh, coming up, we're going to be speaking to Dr. Ava Carnero, former Chelsea first team doctor. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others. Hi, I'm Jordan Nobbs and you're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. This is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker Others. Thank you for joining us on this Monday evening. I am socially distancing with the wonderful Kelly Smith, MBE, England's record goalscorer, Joe Tung, agent and CEO of Tongue Tide Management as well. Uh, just before we disappeared very briefly, we were chatting uh, about respect and different things like that and how you have to earn it in the game. And I know, Kelly, you had a question for Joe. Yeah, hi, Joe. I didn't actually say hi to you before. Um, I just want to know, um, do you feel respected amongst, amongst other male agents now in this day, in this era? Do you, are you, do you have that respect amongst them? Yeah, I think I do, actually. But I think a lot of that comes from me because I think I own it a bit more. So it, it's that fine line between how you perceive yourself and how you feel you're being perceived. And I think with, with age, with experience, just with 
sort of what I know I've done. I do, I do feel respected. I think um, there's also, look, there's lots of benefits to being um, a female in the football industry in that when you're in a room of 100 men, people tend to notice you and people tend to say, who's that woman and what does she do? So they will remember you. So, um, you know, let's that, that, not be negative negative about all of this. It's, it's, you can use it to your advantage. And I, 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 do, I do feel respected now, but I feel I've had to put 20 years of graft in to earn that respect, actually. And hopefully in the future, it won't take others quite so long. And, and maybe other people have seen your, your rise and, and what you've done, and they haven't realised that it's taken you 20 years, but it's only you, you know, on the outside, um, you're seen and respected in your own right. It's, it, it's not had to be, they, they've not realised the fight that you've had to have, if, if, if you like. Uh, this is the Women's Football Weekly Pioneers uh, special, and I'm pleased to welcome another pioneer to the show. Eva Carnero was the first female assistant medical director and first team doctor in the Premier League. She worked at Chelsea for seven years before settling a case of constructive dismissal with the club and was the first woman to sit on a team bench pitch side in the Champions League, Premier League and Europa League. Eva, so lovely to have you on Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sports. How are you? What have you been up to? Good, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Faye, and, and thanks very much for inviting me to speak. It's an honour, honestly, to be um, speaking with sort of Kelly Smith present and Joe Tung. Um, admire those women a lot, really, so thank you. Oh, well, thank you for coming on. I mean, it's a massive love-in on here. I, I, when we tweeted out the show earlier on, everybody was very excited uh, with the three of you being guests here on uh, on Women's Football Weekly, so it's, it's my pleasure having you on, for sure. Um, Look, we'll obviously discuss what happened at Chelsea in, in what ended up being a very public uh, battle. And I know that there's only a limited amount that you can tell us. But what I want to start off chatting to you about is, is just your career and how you ended up winning titles as first team doctor at, at Stamford Bridge. I mean, did, did you always want to work in football? Yes, I mean, as far back, I wanted to be a vet um, until I was 16. And I reminded the footballers I worked with of this, but... I decided not to be a vet because I didn't want to put my animals down ever or my patients down. And then sort of I told them that, you know, working with them had made me change my mind about putting down patients. But um, but at 16, I decided that, um, you know, second medicine is what I wanted to do. And I had knee injuries. And I remember picking up this American College of Sports Medicine book and thinking, you know, my goodness, it's all here. This is really what I want to do with my life. I remember reading this at the beach in Gibraltar, you know, my friends going, what are you doing? We're on holiday. But it was like, you know, I'd found my calling. And I had a big passion for football. Football was a big thing in my family. We all watched games together. Um, so it is amazing to be here, like, with people like sort of Kelly talk, because, you know, I just wish I'd had um, players like her to look up to, because I, as a little girl, couldn't play football. You know, the boys played football, and I had to watch and do with Mr. Muffins, which I wasn't bad at, but it's not what I wanted to do necessarily. But, um... I'm just so pleased that girls today can aspire to be, you know, more than just working in the sidelines, really. Yeah, for sure. Everything it seems so much more accessible nowadays. How, how difficult was it as a female getting your position in, in the first place? How accessible was it to you? I mean, it was very hard in the sense that I felt, and I've felt this probably more now, retrospectively, thinking back up to my experiences and reflecting that... Um, I spent an incredible amount of energy actually trying to fit in. And I just wish that that energy had been freed up to just continue doing my job. Um, you know, so, so I think it was quite hard. You're constantly faced with the, you know, the wisdom or sort of the wisdom in inverted commas of individuals, males who told you, you shouldn't do this, you can't do this, you won't be respected, nobody will ever take you seriously. And there were more derogatory comments sort of around that. And I think with time, that just went away. Um, but, but I think consciously they were in me. I was trying to prove them wrong. And I really, my energy should have just been about enjoying what I was achieving and my work because I passionately loved what I did. It was a dream job, um, you know, uh, that I was living and breathing. And, you know, I remember pinching myself, sort of at Champions League finals and semi-finals, same Barcelona, being in that tunnel amongst these players, you know, with their daughters in front of me and Messi sort of nodding at me from the edge of the corridor just in, in acknowledgement into myself going, I am literally breathing my my 16-year-old dream. Yeah. You know, like, a, um, so, so yeah, it was, I, you know, I just feel I've enjoyed it. I, I, I wish I'd enjoyed it more rather than dedicating so much energy to really things that, that shouldn't have taken my energy at all. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that shortly. But, I mean, 
myself, Kelly and, and Joe have been talking a lot about visibility and seeing you week in, week out, sitting on the bench, treating players on the pitch uh, was important for young girls really to realise that that was accessible to them. Did, did you have any idea at the time that, that, that you were a ro role model, if you like? No, not at all. I mean, I, I you know, had, I'd never really seen um, sort of gender and what I wanted to do. Doctors, you know, we have a majority of sort of female doctors in med school. So we're always kind of, this is a non-issue um, as far as I was concerned. And my predecessors hadn't had that sort of attention, so it never occurred to me that I would have it. So I felt extremely uncomfortable with it, sitting on that bench and having articles appear in, in, in the wider press. made me feel incredibly uncomfortable. And then with time, we started receiving sort of um, letters from young girls, big Chelsea fans or big football fans that were asking, how can I be like you? I really admire you, I really respect what you've achieved. And all of a sudden, I think I realized the responsibility um, of what I was doing as well. So all of a sudden, it wasn't um, so much about me anymore, but I was very aware that my decisions and how I carried myself and did my job had greater repercussions, sort of as far as the little girls that were watching. I mean, this is true of the more negative things that what, what sort of happened and sort of, you know, we, we get a lot of sort of on-pitch abuse and things too. And, uh, and I, you know, when I have spoken about the issues that are important to me, I always have that little image of the 16-year-old me watching and going, what would she think of this situation right now? And how should I change that experience for her? Mm. What, what was that like? being subjected to the to the kind of sexist chance from the terraces that that, that you that you were week in week out i mean i think i think it's sort of i honestly don't want to make this about concentrating on the negative i've sort of we've moved on from that and i think things i hope things are better um but it it isn't fair for any player or any individual doing their job to be subjected to um the level of abuse and the level of um anger and and i guess um, ugliness in that abuse. Um, you know, nobody doing that job should be subjected um, to to sort of some of the things that that I've heard being shouted at, for example, at, at my players. And um, so, so I think yes, it, it isn't. Um, it's something that you do here, but naturally, I think uh, what protects those of us that are on the pitch a lot of the time is actually we're just doing our job, and it's a high pressure, intense job, so we learn to shut it out. I work in emergency departments and you know, trauma departments. Um, teaches you to just shut out things like I've been sort of shouted at doctors, you know. But uh, mm. but there's a question of whether you tolerate it. And you know, I was I was of a certain age then. But then you know, there are there are um, children that watch games, and I don't think they should have that as an example. Yeah, absolutely. You're listening to the thoughts of Dr. Eva, Eva Carnero, consultant in sports and exercise medicine and former first team doctor at Chelsea as well on this Women's Football Weekly Pioneers special on Talk Sport too. Um, Eva, you know, we, we, we've mentioned negative stuff. We talked on the phone before we came on air, actually, about, you know, my frustrations with actually some of the questions that I feel like I'm asking you is stuff that I've been frustrated um, with as a female broadcaster, for example. I know that Joe has also had this. I'm sure Kelly has had this plenty. You know, questions like, do you even like football when you're working in it? I mean, God, it would be the worst job in the world if you didn't like football, wouldn't you? You'd give up all your weekends and everything else. Um, it would be ridiculous. Um, but does it almost seem surreal when you're doing your job what you've trained for years to do that people still mention your gender like we are now i mean it is outside of this world and this is very particular thing to the culture of football because like i say you know as a female doctor we're very and suddenly the patients i treated especially the younger generations were very used to seeing female doctors everywhere so i found it quite surprising that outside of the people i was actually treating <laughs> um that that you know examples were raised but i think it comes back to joe's comments that Sometimes it's the whole, um, I'm not used to seeing a woman in this role, and therefore, you know, I mean, I had all sorts of labels, Nasser, Vizio, all sorts of, like, I guess they were trying to place what I could be, and it's almost like it didn't occur that female doctor in sport could happen. Um, but I think, you know, like it, it, I think it'll be less and less of a problem going forward. I think that there have been more of us, and I think, like, the, young, the younger generations are going to see the world very differently because they're used to seeing women as their general practitioners and, you know, as their doctors and family settings. So I honestly don't think it's a problem for the future. And I think there's been enough of us now um, to be visible enough for it to be an old question now. Absolutely. And this is exactly why we're doing this Pioneers show, because, you know, it, it reminds people that there are role models out there. There are people to aspire to, to be like and other people have set the path. Um, 
I don't want to focus on negative stuff, but in terms of forward thinking of your experiences and I just want to give our listeners some context for those who don't know your story because you were thrust even more into the spotlight in 2015-16 after treating Eden Hazard on the pitch with your colleague John Fern. Chelsea manager at the time Jose Mourinho shouted a discriminatory term in Portuguese towards you, accused you then of naivety for treating a player, leaving just nine players on the pitch. You then effectively were demoted and then went on to settle a dismissal claim against the club, who then apologised unreservedly about the stress they'd caused you. Your professional reputation was upheld. Your name was cleared. And, I mean, you followed medical procedures. You were just doing your job. But did that whole experience put you off working in such a high-profile role in the end? And how did the situation change you? Well, I think it's impossible to go through something like what I went through for the best part of a year of my life um, and not be changed by it. But um, and it, but it hasn't put me off at all. I mean, I think it's fair to say I needed time off. I needed to um, enjoy my job again and, and be a doctor again without the complications of being in the limelight um, because I was in every paper in every country for a really long time and it, um, I wasn't at all comfortable with that. I mean, I think what's, what's left perhaps, the way it's changed is like I think certain individuals in football perhaps they want to treat me like I did something wrong. And it was clear that I was only doing my job. But I, I understand it, align, it helps to align yourself with those more powerful. I, I get that. But in the end, you know, like I, I think it's nearly five years now. And, um, you know, I, I recently came across that quote by Martin Luther King. In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Mm. That still hurts. And I think whether it's, you know, in, in, in this sport, whether it's in subjects of racism or, or child abuse or athlete safeguarding in respect to the medical treatment, a change of culture is needed and because we passionately love this sport um so but a change of culture is needed to change the things that are ugly about it and um and i think you know i sort of i urge fans and i mean i think we have a new generation of players that will fight for the right but um fans also shouldn't be passive in asking for this change because in the end it will actually serve to protect even those that are so heavily invested in it um as a sport so, so I'm a strong advocate. What has made me more passionate about medical governance? I'm constantly boring people talking about it, but I don't think, um, you know, that medical governance, that, that the change of culture um, is impossible in football. I really don't think so, especially with new generations of managers coming through, the new generations of athletes um, who are bright, who are well-versed in, in the ways of the world. Um, I think change is possible, and I think it's a real, a really exciting development for the future change is possible I mean you, you put that so articulately and, and we're seeing it already with, with players like Marcus Rashford and Raheem Sterling and any Aluko in the past coming out and actually saying no enough is enough now we have a position where we can change things from, from the medical side of things can you see more women coming through and working in first team medical roles um, I mean have they seen your path and thought I can do that I want to do that well, I hope so. I mean, I think there was a pause, but now, um, I think a couple of weeks ago, I read that um, uh, Arsenal had appointed a female doctor. And I think I almost feel guilty about bringing attention to her name, because I think what she would probably need, or anybody coming into a role like this needs right now, is to just to be able to concentrate on her job without having the focus. Because I think it'll take a while for organisations, for clubs, for corporates to accept that actually they need to be a little bit protected, they need to be safeguarded from that attention because none of us go into that job wanting it. Um, we're not used to having it. We don't know how to deal with it. Um, we don't live in ivory towers that protect us from it. So so we need both training and, and protection um, from, from that sort of attention in order to allow us to carry on with our jobs without having to concentrate on what can become really a negative focus uh, on all the wrong things and really but um you know even despite being i guess one of the first and, and 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 i think it's always harder for the first ones um i still get a lot of um chelsea fans that follow me i've recently become active on twitter overcoming my fears of, of social media for the first time because i was never <laughs> active in it before but uh, um you know a lot of the followers are always expressing actually respect and admiration for the job i did and how well i did that job um, which fills me with actually happiness that they actually they saw the work we did and they're not concentrating on, you know, on, on other things that for me were either embarrassing or completely unwanted. Um, so, so I think, you know, and, and I was one of the first, I think we just got to, we just have to normalise this conversation. It, it's going to happen. 
um, there are good female doctors and there are good male doctors and we need the balance and diversity works in any environment, especially high performance environments, be it, be it you know, great corporates or sports. So let's embrace it and let's just normalise this argument. Like you say, it's 2020. Let's get over this. Yeah, let's get over this indeed. As we said earlier on, let's stop putting a gender at the beginning of a job title. You are not just a female first team doctor you were just the first team doctor at Chelsea and many other things on top of that Eva Carnero it's been an absolute pleasure having you on Women's Football Weekly here on TalkSport 2 thanks so much for chatting to us I hope you'll come on again uh, and talk about your experiences and 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 we can talk about more females in the game doing your job and you know carry on all the fantastic work that you're doing as well in terms of medical governance it's been a pleasure talking to you Thank you. Many thanks again for inviting me. Thanks a lot. This is Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. Next, we're going to continue the conversation with Kelly Smith and Joe Tung. Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. This is Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. I'm Faker Rothers. Thank you for joining us on this Monday evening. I am socially distancing alongside Kelly Smith, MBE, and Joe Tung from Tongue Tide Management on this Women's Football Weekly Pioneers special. Wow, wasn't Dr. Ava Conero absolutely fabulous? She had so many fantastic points. We could sit here for another hour discussing all of those, but I think the one that I took from it is it's always harder for the first pioneer and that's exactly why we're talking about pioneers here on women's women's football weekly because they are the important people who show the light of the way for others to to follow and then normalize and i love that word normalize it let's stop making this all about it being a female or a male doing a separate job whatever it is they're doing it's just football at the end of the day um right we have been asking you who your female uh, pioneers are as well plenty of you getting in touch None of you will be surprised to hear that quite a few of you have been saying Kelly Smith, 100%, is their top pioneer within the game. Um, Alex Scott as well is getting a lot of love. Of course, former Arsenal, uh, an England player who's now transcended into broadcasting. And that's what I want to talk to you both about now. Um, Joe, within your job, um, you know, you you have a lot of support for female players and you represented Enia Luko who was on our show last week, former Chelsea and England forward of course, now sporting director at Aston Villa we all recognise her as a pioneer for so many reasons but she was the first female footballer on your books wasn't she? She was, yeah, before the London 2012 Olympics um, we got together and um, any, any realised that she needed an agent and, um, we, you know, we knew we had the London 2012 Olympics coming up as a big opportunity and a big platform. And actually, you talk about the first, when Any was actually the first female football pundit um, in the UK or on our networks. But that actually took me until 2014 to persuade the networks that we needed a female football pundit. And I mean, you know, Kelly will know all about this because of the work that, sh- that she does um, in broadcasting now, especially with Fox. But... Back in 2012, we had no female female pundits on on television. Crazy. And for two years, I was banging on about it, and you know, I'd I'd call up the networks. And I've got this great woman. She's you know, any any was a lawyer at the time. She was articulate. She was passionate. She lived and breathed football. She was just an inspiration. And again, we go back to that that role model. I, I just thought I I'm interested in what she thinks about football, and she's played football all her life. And the the one thing that they they came back with was. Well, she's never played in the Premier League, so how can she comment? You know, how can she comment on the Premier League? And I was like, at, you know, at the time, I think she had like eighty odd England caps. She played in the States. She was at Chelsea. She played in, you know, she was a professional footballer. And I was like, but she plays football. Like it's just football. We're just talking about football here, and that's that's the normalisation, isn't it? Um, all she had to do was give her opinion on tactics and performance. And yes, with the added experience of being a professional footballer herself, I didn't care if she was a a male or a female, she knew about football. Anyway, in 2014, fair play to the BBC and Match of the Day, they they gave her a role and and she did brilliantly. And now now it has become the norm, hasn't it? I mean, you know, Kelly, Kelly she's she's one of our sort of prime faces on, on networks a lot in the States, but also over here. And then Alex Scott, obviously another great example, Claire Rafferty, who's another of my clients who does lots of talk sports stuff. So I think it has been normalised, but it took a long time to persuade people that that this was how it should be done. 
I think that's the frustration as well, isn't it? The amount of time it, it takes. As Joe mentioned there, Kelly, you're a pundit as well. Uh, did it take a long time to convince people that you're well, ade well adept to being able to comment on, on men's football as well as, as, as women's football? Because I know that you've been on Sky Sports. Like Every time I look up at the screen, Sue Smith is there smiling away, you know, <laughs> and particularly on a show that I work on that's very dear to my heart on uh, on Soccer Saturday and Soccer Special, it did take quite a while for there to be female pundits on that. You were one of them. Yeah, and there's a number of us now that still commentate um, and, and give our opinions. And it's having that platform, it's being given that opportunity and, and having the door open. And I believe now the door is, is open due to the good work that Joe's done with obviously her clients and putting, um, you know, top female former players being visible which Joe spoke about and it's having that opportunity and the opportunities are there now and it's great for you know young girls to watch the games and see a female um, player that's played for England and Arsenal and Chelsea and, and talking about men's football um, it is just football as, as we said before and um, yeah I'm just grateful that I can you know give my opinions I'm very passionate about the game I think I know what I well, I do know what I'm talking about having all the experience of playing in World Cups and Olympics and European Championships and um, it doesn't matter whether it's women's football or men's football if you've played at that highest level then you've got a valid opinion and I'm, I, I just love talking about football and you know to say that that is my job um, it brings joy to my heart so I'm very fortunate. It's pretty cool we've all got pretty cool jobs I would say. <laughs> yes Joe. Faye, just coming in on that, um, one of the things that I think is really important to sort of mention here is is our male allies in this. Mm -hmm. So Kelly does a lot of work with um, Wrighty, Ian Wright, another guy that I've, I've worked with for, for many years, and they, they do a lot of work on the WSL with, with the support of Barclays. But I think it's really, it's really crucial that we are not pigeonholed and just women talking about women's football or oh here's the women's bit and now the women are talking about football i think seeing kelly and righty together on that platform together is so important and there was i mean there was a moment at the world cup last year and i can't remember which game it was but i was i was near the press box and sam matterface obviously of of this parish uh was in the in the press box with claire rafferty and then there was Dion dublin ailey barber Erin um, Cuthbert was, was playing, Leah Williamson was playing, had Rachel Brown finished. And I just remember standing there and going, isn't this amazing that we're all just here? And it was like my little family. I took we were a photo all of just you. To talk about football. <laughs> I think you might. Yeah, I think you were there, weren't you? And it was just, do you know what? It was such a magic moment for me. And I think it's the same with Emma Hayes. Emma Hayes, um, the Chelsea manager, she started doing um, a bit a bit of media work. And I just think it's it's really important that people... People know the faces and people know the characters and people know what Kelly did in our game because within Arsenal and within football, Kelly is the most highly respected player. You know, what she did for England and, and the, the skill that she had, oh, uh, not to embarrass her here, but Kelly was epic. I mean, she was epic, wasn't she? You know, she was up there. But I think outside of that, we need to give her that respect and broadcasters need to give her that platform and then when you you know when you see her just having a conversation with righty for example on the barclays um the w uh, wsl stuff you just go that's it that's that that's where it is and that is the normalization and and it is becoming normal and exactly what you said about that because i saw righty's tweet you know promoting the wsl saying it'll be back reminding people and it's important that there's so many high profile people talking talking about it and celebrating male allies is absolutely crucial because we all have them listen we're running out of time so i just want to ask you one both one last question each which is what are you most proud of kelly smith let's start with you um, I, mean, I would say my last FA Cup final, I, I won five FA Cup finals, but the last one was extra special because I knew um, at the beginning of the season that it would be my, my last season um, and I was going to retire. So, And I wasn't playing as many games as I would have liked due to my age and young players coming through and the manager um, wanting to use them more. So I just had to be patient and wait for the games that come around. Um, and obviously my knee was, was the problem at the time, but I just wanted to play in the FA Cup final because it was at Wembley. It was a, I think it was the second year that it was at Wembley and to, to play at, at Wembley, I've, I've done it, fortunate enough to do, do it a couple of times, but to win an FA Cup with your club side that you supported as a kid was just so special. Um, it was against Chelsea. It was a game that we probably, um, you know, we weren't favourites in the game. Um, so it, it, it was that, to walk up those steps as um, and lift that trophy with Alex um, was just a special moment for me because that was one thing that I really wanted to have on my checklist that's playing at Wembley and I managed to do it and pick up that FA Cup. That, that's a proud memory for me. 
send shivers, send shivers. Joe, <laughs> same question to you. What are you most proud of? Oh, do you know what? I just I actually just did get a few goosebumps there, just thinking. Imagine Even as a Tottenham fan, blimey! FA Cup. Imagine. It. <laughs> yeah, it, have, it hasn't happened often to me as a Tottenham fan. But anyway, um, I I think I'm proudest of probably just giving my clients a safe space on like a voice. So I I feel to enable them to find their voice is probably the thing I'm most proud of. So to support them through whatever voice they need to find or whatever they want to stand up to or, or speak out about. So whether that's any speaking out against the FA and what she experienced there, or whether it was Renee Hector last year and the racism that she suffered on the pitch. Um, I think it's just supporting them through that process and saying, right, what is it that, that you want to that you want to say and how do we best say that to protect you so i think that's probably what yeah the main thing and, and then aside to that just the work i do with women in football so we were an organization that started 13 14 years ago and it was eight women that got together um in a pizza express in soho and now it's a network of of 4,000 women working in in the game in the professional game and i think what the the work and effort that everybody puts into that whether it's the board members or the members that we all do together i'm i'm ridiculously proud of yeah absolutely and so you should be as well you should both be incredibly proud amazing careers and worthy uh, guests for a pioneers show you you absolutely are fantastic beacons of light for for every every person wanting to work in football not just young girls coming coming through or, or young women uh, for everybody thank you so much for joining us on women's football weekly it's been an absolute pleasure i know i'll speak to you both soon and hopefully have you on the show mm-hmm. again when we have a little bit more time as well you have been listening to a women's football weekly special here on talk sport 2 don't forget if you did miss any of the show it's going to be repeated tomorrow morning on talk sport 2 9 till 10 a.m we're also now a podcast so you can download us from your preferred podcast provider and catch up if you miss us but join us again next week where it's going to be our last show of the season we're going to be going out with a bang and catching up with everything that's going on though so i shall see you then women's football weekly with faker others hi i'm carly telford and you're listening to women's football weekly on talk sport 2 imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.